The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Tuesday, July 26th, 2016. From Slate, it's the gist. I'm Mike Pasca. Day one of the Democratic National Convention was dramatic, partly because of the A-list virtuosos delivering inspired arias of rhetoric. I'm thinking of Michelle Obama and right before her, Cory Booker. He spoke a little bit before the primetime hour. Maybe you didn't see him. He was loud. He was fast. He was sweaty. He got the crowd into a fervor. And then Michelle comes on with Grace and Alon. The program settled in. Elizabeth Warren making the economic case for Hillary. Bernie Sanders, the best thing he does is show up. Five-minute ovation for the part of the night that most people watched. The Democrats couldn't have asked for more. For the hours before, however, they could have, although that was dramatic too. Drama is conflict, and the Bernie Booers were and are unhappy. So would it have been better for the party, which is now trying to serve a candidacy where the candidate is routinely described as overly programmed and robotic? So should the Democrats have wanted to present itself as only a happy family, all smiling faces, no dissent, a bunch of pod people? I think not. Democracy's messy. And without all the shouting, the later moments of healing wouldn't have played as well. If there was one critique of the night, it's that the convention seemed to be more in self-congratulatory mode than in outreach mode. Eva Longoria invited convention goers to give themselves a pat on the back. I want you to take a look at your convention, Philadelphia. A Latina from South Texas is introducing the first black senator from New Jersey on the week will nominate our first woman candidate for president of the United States. Firing up the base, party unity, indeed celebrating the civic good that is diversity, that's not to be dismissed, but it doesn't reach that disaffected white man who's leaning Trump. And I wonder about tonight. Because tonight, the primetime programming is Bill Clinton, Meryl Streep, Alicia Keys. I think they might have a little more juice than even Natalie Gulbis. But before that, a group called Mothers of the Movement will speak. They're mothers of slain black men, Trayvon Martin, Eric Garner, and Michael Brown. Black Lives Matter is a cause that Democrats should embrace. But also on stage, the fourth mother is Geneva Reed Veal, and she's the mother of Sandra Bland. And in my opinion, putting Sandra Bland's mother on stage will not serve the Democrats' cause tonight. So Sandra Bland was the woman stopped for a lane change by a Texas trooper. She was taken into custody, and she was found dead in her jail cell, the victim of a hanging. The traffic stop was going to result in a warning, but the trooper took umbrage at Bland's irritation. Things escalated. The trooper has been found at fault for his behavior during the stop. He has been fired. He faces a charge of perjury. But everything else from that set of facts is less clear. In the days before the official report ruled the death a suicide, Bland's family, Bland's spokespeople, emphasized that there was no reason to commit suicide. I'll read you a couple quotes from the period. The Reverend David Madison, pastor at a Houston church, said Sandra Bland had just moved from Chicago to Houston to start a new job. You don't come all the way to Houston just to kill yourself. LaVon Mosley, a longtime friend and mentor of Bland's, said Bland called him from the jail the night of her arrest, was in good spirits, quote, she was great, looking forward to getting out and moving forward, that she would take her own life three days later, made no sense at all to Mr. Mosley, who said she was a tough girl and a strong girl. Sandra Bland's sister said of committing suicide based on the Sandy 
somebody I knew. This is unfathomable to me. People who knew her, who truly knew her, the depth of her, that's unfathomable right now. But now the family is suing the jail for failing to take preventive measures despite warning signs that Bland was suicidal. The jail did fail. The story is tragic and horrible. It's also a legit part of the national problem of over-policing and improper policing, but it doesn't quite fit in with the other horrible stories of black people gunned down or choked or killed by police, or in the case of Trayvon Martin, state-countenanced vigilantes. Those people weren't killed by themselves. I blame the jail. The jail itself has instituted reforms. They should be held accountable. And I've also often pointed out that there are no perfect victims. That's in life. But the Democratic National Convention isn't life. It's a show where you want your message to be clear, direct, and in the service of the overall goal. I could see conservatives jumping on Bland's inclusion to discredit the overall message. I could see defenders explaining why Bland's mom should be up there. But at that point, we're taking what should have been an effective moment and turning it into a muddle. I'm just not sure the story of Sandra Bland in this tableau with the other mothers of the movement will appeal to most potential Democratic voters as the kind of story that compels them to vote for Hillary Clinton or to vote against Donald Trump. But let's see how it goes. I will be spieling after the convention in another of our patented DNC quick and dirty dissections. Look for that at 1 or 2 a.m. in this podcast feed. And right now, the man who fretted for years over what you saw and didn't see at conventions past. Now Josh King brings his observations to the gist. So we've been talking all about the words that have been ringing out in that hall in Philadelphia, ringing out like the Liberty Bell that serves as the zero in the 2016 DNC logo. So let's actually talk about the logo and everything around it, the visuals. And joining me now is Josh King. He is the author of Off Script, an advanced man's guide to White House stagecraft. He is the erstwhile host of the great Polyoptics podcast, and he just ran visuals for uh, the Clinton team. So what I'm telling you is, is this is like having a conversation with Bill Walsh before the Super Bowl, if, except Josh King won all of his Super Bowls. Hello, Josh. Hi, Mike. Great to be with you. So the first thing I want to ask you about is I saw a Daily Caller headline, there are no flags in Philadelphia, and I said, oh, God, they're grasping at this. And then I put into Twitter the hashtag uh, Dems in Philly, and so much of the right-wing media, like Drudge and Daily Caller, are just pointing out there are no flags in Philadelphia. Now, I'll ask it to you this way, because I will talk about the set. We'll talk about how it can show a million things, including flags. If you were running or advising on this convention, would you address that? Would you throw a couple more flags up there to shut them up? No, uh, <laughs> because I think it, you and I have been to a lot of basketball and hockey games. And if there's not a U.S. and Canadian flag hanging up in the rafters that sits there, but whether it's a, in convention setup or in basketball and hockey setup, it's not a U.S. Uh, sports arena. So right. I don't believe that there is not a, a 
perfectly representative United States and Canadian flag at the Wells Fargo Center in Philadelphia because you never know when the Canadians are going to come. There's probably also a Dr. J jersey, but I guess they want to see it from more of the floor. Now, my point would be is they could change the background to evoke American flags. And you have scattered throughout the desk a bunch of pictures, and a few of those are red, white, and blue stripy things. (laughs) Yes, there are. It's not the best critique. No, look, the modern design of convention stages. It used to be people would build these out of out of wood and paint and stucco colors that would absorb light. Now they're made out of tiny pixelated walls that can, for Donald Trump's appearance, for example, turn into instantly a bank of American flags that for me evoked Barack Obama's 2008 acceptance speech in Grant Park after he was elected president. If you look at last night, you know, Cory Booker had a different star field backdrop than Elizabeth Warren, who had sort of a textured thing to go with her red jacket. Bernie Sanders had horizontal stripes that did recall a flag. And Michelle Obama also had a choreographed backdrop that fit with her ensemble. It seems like the default backdrop of the Democrats is uh, this brushed steel thing. It looks silver, but is that just as much as an illusion as when Elizabeth Warren speaks and they throw a little light pink U every third tile? Well, the difference between conventions of past, if you are in the broadcast booth controlling the Democratic convention, you can slightly adjust that hue so that for the most important audience, the people viewing at home, uh, Warren's red coat is not going to contrast too greatly and it's going to be within the same color family. The only thing that seems permanent to me, Mike, is the uh, solid construction of the podium itself, which even does have LEDs built into the sides so that they can change hues. But one interesting thing your listeners are going to be able to observe on Thursday night when Hillary Clinton and Tim Kaine have that moment of glory and they're holding up Annie Holton and Bill Clinton's hand as the ticket and their spouses, that podium and those teleprompter panels are going to disappear through a trap door in the stage so that all we're going to see is a beautiful shot of the four of them. This is something the Republicans couldn't figure out how to do last week. They had a permanent podium, and we saw the receding podium um, on Monday night when the woman in the wheelchair who just shamed Donald Trump, she spoke and they took it away because it would... Why, she, why yeah, have it? Why have it? Exactly. So what? describe the aesthetics of the Republicans, if you will. I think we're getting to a point where both conventions are starting to look a lot alike. Mm-hmm. Interestingly, as I look at some of the high shots created in Philadelphia, and these are erected by the news agencies, Reuters, AP, Getty Images, they climb up into the rafters and they put their cameras on clamps so that they can fire them automatically. A lot of these shots that we call cutaway shots that are taken from behind will, as depending on the focal length of the lens and the way a newspaper decides to lay it out, make Bernie Sanders, for example, look like he is sitting in a sea of Bernie signs. Mm-hmm. And this choreography, for instance, when Michelle Obama was speaking with these long vertical Michelle poles and Bernie was speaking in front of this big sea of Bernie flags is a example of disciplined choreography and stagecraft, the kind of which Democrats have always been really good at. I was trying to look for it last week in Cleveland, and it was a hot mess, mostly for the Republicans. And they also screwed up the uh, Spanish with Latinos. Cone Trump? Poor Trump? Para Trump? (laughs) I didn't see that. (laughs) One other area of your expertise 
is not just how it looks, but how, well, it deals with how it looks, how speakers read off teleprompters, use use teleprompters, their speech patterns, their cadences. And this is a lot more complicated than we think because there are three panels and you can look back and forth to all the different panels. I think Donald Trump really only looked straight ahead or 90% of the time he was looking straight ahead at that first panel. But some of the Democrats, specifically I'm thinking of Cory Booker, man, he was using every angle, and he was also positioning his head at interesting angles and, like, giving hand gestures. This guy was a master. And you have to make a real choice about the person you're going to be behind that podium and who who your prime audience is for. Because... As I've heard said about the convention a couple times, both the Republicans and the Democrats, the microphone is there to do a lot of work. It will project your voice and the sound engineers at the back of the house will modulate what you are saying so that it can be heard in the house to the 18,000 people at Wells Fargo or at the queue in Cleveland. But it's also going to be modulated so people can hear through their television sets at home. An interesting contrast last night in Philadelphia was Booker was really trying to speak to the room, to Wells Fargo Arena. And he was looking left and right, but in a Trump-like way, he was trying to project really hard, so hard that you saw him pull the handkerchief out of his jacket a couple times and pad down the forehead. But with Michelle Obama, same kind of head movements, Mm -hmm. was acknowledging the room well, but was not trying to shout to the room, was using her voice and pausing and reflecting and and sometimes really speeding up in a, in a way that was designed for television broadcast. There are a few things that the producer of the convention will also do to help. The more that they will lower the house lights, the darker the delegates get in the room, the less likely they are to either demonstrate themselves or talk between each other it's almost that cue that we get that you and i get when we go to a movie theater that says house lights coming down shut the heck up and focus on the screen well it's like how the la lakers light their stage they're saying and the nickname of that team is it's showtime other arenas it's lighter and brighter and it's less of a look at this what's going on in the court and this was a big problem for bill clinton in 1988 when he gave his famously elongated a nomination speech from Mike Dukakis went on for 35 minutes, was only supposed to go on for 15. But the house lights were incredibly bright. All the delegates started talking to each other and, and making gestures. They were so well lit that the network started to actually be able to shoot them because yeah. they were perfectly bright. But last night, watching Mrs. Obama, the house was pretty dark. and she Bright had, enough to get reaction yes. shots. You can't totally right. cut the light. And then interestingly, Mike... I came home and I watched the morning shows this morning and everyone was going so gaga for Michelle Obama's speech. And then I read the 1,519 words of the speech today and I did think that this is the kind of address that young women, young men too, will sometime, someday print out and put on their, their bulletin board in their rooms. because And possibly deliver in eight years at a Republican national because convention. really not a freaking word is wasted. Yeah. And I look at Trump clocking in at 4,348 words, and a lot of it was repetition. One other observation is as much as sort of the liberal media and the morning shows were agog for Michelle Obama— 
you know, I went back and looked at the key newspapers from the battleground states and what they thought the big story was based on their selection of the photograph for the front page. The Toledo Blade, the Medina Gazette, the Cleveland Plain Dealer, the Cincinnati Inquirer, the Columbus Dispatch, and all are different angles of Bernie Sanders' moment on the stage. And the headlines for the Blade is Sanders urges backers to rally around Clinton. The Gazette says a lift from Sanders, plain dealer, Democrats strive for party unity. It's a somewhat different story in Florida where Debbie Wasserman Schultz is a hometown story and phenomenon that needs to be covered. But if you think about, well, was day one of the Democrats such a disaster and disarray? Not really if you're one of those people who get any of those Ohio newspapers on your driveway in the morning. Right. So you're a stagecraft expert. I'm a news guy. From a news angle, I think it's right to put Bernie on the front page. You can't be too disappointed with that. I mean, that is the news. That is the thing that changed. Absolutely not. Primary and caucus season was not between Hillary Clinton and Michelle Obama. The story is that her one-time enemy and combatant, capitulated and came to the stage and urged for unity. That's what Ohio thinks or is being told to think by news editors this morning. And if you are the Clinton campaign, you're pretty happy about that. I want to go back to something about the teleprompters. Barack Obama will give a lot of speeches uh, when he talks to us from the Oval Office. It'll be right into one camera. When he does bigger events, he's using three. How often will Michelle Obama, who gives tons of speeches, but how often will she, how used to... Uh, The three teleprompter thing, is she? Is she a pro at this now? I would say she probably is. This this will be her third convention speaking. She does a terrific job, but make no mistake, Mike, that in the executive mansion part of the White House is a place called the Family Theater. Mm -hmm. And before any of these big nights, the White House Communications Agency rolls out a lectern, sets up a teleprompter, and instead of watching uh, High Plains Drifter, she's going to practice these 1,519 words over and over again with people in the audience who are going to give her strong critique to say, yeah, I think you got the pacing, tone, inflection, and volume right. And then to watch uh, the First Lady last night was to see her just chatting with us in a very normal, natural way, not elevating her voice like uh, Cory Booker did, and more comfortable with the lens compared to Elizabeth Warren, perhaps. And so, this morning, the people who trade in television, uh, who want to figure out what clips to use, are going to use Mrs. Obama because she gave the best TV last night. Speaking of which, um, Elizabeth Warren was interrupted by someone. I couldn't tell what they were saying. What they were saying is, we trusted you, we trusted you. And I found this out by watching Fox News this morning, and they had that moment, and they put in large, very large, and super large font, as if the the one guy yelling this was getting louder. We trusted you. We trusted you. But my question is, when should a speaker stop for a heckler and when should they plow ahead? Well, it's interesting. Ted Cruz stopped for the New York delegation last week. My personal view is that best if you can just remember that you're trying to show the the TV lens, which is about 100, 120 feet across the hall, that you are unfazed by what's going on because it can't pick it up. Most networks are taking what's called the pool feed, which is the single picture decided by a pool director who was appointed by all the TV networks, but they also have unilateral cameras, live unilateral cameras, so that if Fox News decides we want to show some of the protesters going on, they're going to flip back and forth and they're going to find the person who says, we trusted you, 
use lower thirds or chirons to amplify that in case it's not as audible and make a story of it in the same way they did with Ted Cruz. In the same way, Mike, that until we got to last night's prime time presentation, when we watched the evening news, what was the story? Debbie Wasserman Schultz and the difficulty that she had speaking to the Florida delegation. Not the most beautiful event there ever was. In fact, the cameras were sort of positioned low so you could actually see a lot of the makeshift email signs that were being held up by the Florida delegates and the people in the room. You saw her having difficulty with the crowd saying, can we all just settle down? You didn't have to listen to anything more for that story to be complete that basically Chairman Wasserman Schultz was being railroaded out of town. Josh King is the author of Off Script, an advanced man's guide to White House stagecraft. He ran that for the Clinton White House. Thank you, Josh. Thank you, Mike. And that's it for today's show. Mary Wilson, just producer, is proud to endorse the next executive producer of Slate Podcasts, Steve Lichtai, who does not know how he can tell his children to treat others with dignity and respect and concise titles when his boss, Andy Bowers, chief content officer of the Panoply Network, comes before you today as the son of a customer, of a milk truck driver, who endorses the gist. As the African saying goes, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. But actually, you don't want to go too fast. 1.5 speed, that's about as fast as you could go. You're not going to be able to understand me at double speed. Oomperu, deperu, duperu, and thanks for listening.